G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation as we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is made possible through the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation and we come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. In central Queensland, mining is a big deal. We all know this because of the Adani protests and the return of the Liberal National Party government, which is supposed to have been balanced on the decisions of people who were worried about their jobs in mining in Queensland. This may or may not be true. But what is true is that workers are being killed in these same mines in what the CFMMEU is calling a safety crisis. There have been four deaths in the last six months. Today, we bring you an interview done with Stephen Smythe, District President of the CFMMEU's Mining and Energy Division, Queensland, which we did on Saturday the 6th of July. By Monday, 8th of July, another man had died in a mine in Gladstone at the Baralaba North Coal Mine. The union was not notified. They became aware of it on Facebook eight hours later. But first, some union news. The Liberal National Party government is reintroducing the Ensuring Integrity Bill into the Lower House of Parliament on Thursday. The Ensuring Integrity Bill has been knocked back several times by the crossbenchers at the Senate level because of its undemocratic nature and flagrant attacks on union and workers' rights in a country which represents itself as a liberal democracy. Industrial Relations Minister and Attorney-General Christopher Porter is quoted as saying, the integrity laws were needed so the government could deregister a union like the Construction, Forestry, Maritime, Mining and Energy Union, the CFMMEU, over what he says is extraordinarily high standard of unlawful activity, end of quote. The Ensuring Integrity Bill would give the Minister, employers or any other party with a sufficient interest the power to intervene in the running and work of unions, disqualify people from union leadership, block union mergers and deregister unions, said ACTU President Michelle O'Neill. So, what is the Ensuring Integrity Bill? Let's go through it carefully. Schedule 1 of the Ensuring Integrity Bill 2019 amends the Fair Work Registered Organisations Act 2009 so that the circumstances in which a person can be automatically disqualified from holding a position of office are broader, and if they don't vacate, it'll be a criminal offence. These provisions include a, inverted commas, fit and proper, end of quote, test as grounds for disqualification. And the changes also provide for the minister, the registered organisations commissioner, or a person with sufficient interest, in quotes, to apply to the federal court for an order to disqualify a person from holding office. According to the bill's explanatory memorandum, sufficient interest has been judiciously interpreted as an interest beyond that of an ordinary person and includes those 
whose rights, interests or legitimate expectations would be affected by the decision, perhaps an employer. Schedule 2 amends the Act so as to, in inverted commas, streamline the cancellation of union registrations by the Federal Court. New Section 28 provides that the Minister, the Commissioner or that person with a sufficient interest can apply with the Court to see a union deregistered. And it also provides that these parties can apply for alternative orders that intrude on the way unions run internally. These orders include disqualification of certain officers, exclusion of certain members and the suspension of right, privilege and capacity. Schedule 3 expands the circumstances in which parties can apply to the court so an administrative scheme can be imposed on a union. As the ACTU has pointed out, This is much broader than similar provisions that deal with corporations and it's designed to punish rather than assist. And the final schedule of the Union Busting Bill makes amendments in regard to unions amalgamating, which, as the ACTU put it, allows for unprecedented political and industry interference in the democratic operation of industrial organisations. The Maritime Union reports that wharfies are striking for 48 hours at DP World's Brisbane, Sydney and Fremantle container terminals and for 96 hours in Melbourne to fight against automation, outsourcing, cuts to income protection insurance and dishonest bargaining by the company which is trying to use change provisions in existing agreements to secure outcomes it cannot bargain into new agreements. The two-day strike, which began Monday morning, July the 6th in Brisbane, is the first in a series of 48 to 96-hour work stoppages planned for container terminals in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne and Fremantle, run by Australia's largest stevedore. Sydney and Fremantle workers will strike on Thursday and Friday and Melbourne will be out from Wednesday until Sunday morning. The industrial action follows the expiry of a three-month ceasefire agreement between DP World and the Maritime Union, which saw the company press ahead with a savage agenda of job cuts and attacks on rights and conditions, including the removal of income protection for workers. The strikes will proceed after their protected status was confirmed by the Fair Work Commission on Friday, when the company sought 418 orders to stop workers using strike action. MUA Queensland Secretary Stephen Cumberlidge said DP World Management were also insisting on including provisions in a new workplace agreement that could see waterfront jobs lost to outsourcing and automation. Our members have shown incredible patience in an attempt to reach resolution with DP World, including by agreeing to hold off on any form of industrial action for three months. But despite that goodwill, management are refusing to budge on these key issues. Our members have delivered huge increases in productivity for DP World in recent years, which resulted in substantial profits, and all workers want is to receive a fair reward for those efforts. 
In the ongoing right of entry issue dispute surrounding construction sites and union officials responding to workers' safety concerns, two CFMMEU officials, Drew McDonald and Steve Long, have been fined $19,300 personally by the ABCC for entering a site to help members after two workers were hurt in a scissor lift incident. In an attempt to cripple union effectiveness, the order is for individual officials to pay the fines, making it illegal for the union to carry the fine. Yeah, now a couple of, uh, obviously, if anyone's seen it, uh, Drew McDonald and Steve Long come onto a Quanstrock job a couple of years ago after two sprinkler fitters come out of a scissor lift and both those two boys now that have families of their own will no longer be able to work. Uh, just because they're still in, uh, bound by a wheelchair. Uh, so it's a shocking story. But for these two organisers that come out on the site, they're copped an independent fine from the ABCC of $19,500. So we do have a GoFundMe page set up to pay uh, Steve and Drew's fines because the union's not allowed to pay individual fines anymore. So they're sick of going for the union. Now they're going for the actual individual organisers. So for two blokes that now can't work for the rest of their lives... You get two organisers that go on to the job to make sure that it's safe. They get stung with individual fines. So, so if we can, put, put your money together. Ten bucks off everyone and we'll have this fine paid in known time. So there's a GoFundMe page set up. Uh, you know, get onto it through Trades Hall. They can't even do it through the CFMU for obvious reasons. So the plumbers have shared it. Uh, 3CR shared it. Gab's done that for us and Trades Hall as well, so get onto that. And if you need any details, sing out. You can go to the Victorian Trades Hall Facebook page to make donations or go to unfairfines.raisley.com forward slash. That's unfairfines, one word, dot R-A-I-S-E-L-Y dot com forward slash. The 742 Longford ESO dispute has reportedly been resolved, according to the Australian Workers' Union. Skilled maintenance workers represented by the AWU, the Electrical Trades Union and the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union, who worked on the ESO Longford offshore gas rigs in Victoria, had been given an ultimatum to sign on to a new labour hire contract at 40% less pay and arduous new conditions or lose their jobs. Their refusal led to a permanent protest camp being erected outside the gates of the ESO plant at Longford and a vigorous campaign that took the workers across the world to the shareholders' meetings to plead their case. The Australian Workers' Union Victorian Branch Secretary Ben Davis said he expected some of the protesters would now be able to return to work with a better pay offer. They were all ex-employees, so that issue isn't so much whether they got the 40% pay cut back but can and will some of them get to go back to work, Mr Davis said. After a long and hard dispute, there are always compromises involved. This is no exception, but we're really proud of what they've done. Mr Davis was satisfied the unions had managed to get the best deal they could for the workers, but acknowledged that some would choose not to go back to work for the company. The news has been full of the outcomes of the recent tax cuts for the rich, but in the stampede it may have been overlooked that the vote to raise New Start was voted down. It seems important to point out the following facts. New Start allowance, $263 per week or roughly $13,000 per year, has not been raised in real terms since 1994. 
the base salary for a federal politician has increased by 75% in real terms since 1994 from $113,882 per year to $199,040 per year. Did you get that? They get $199,040 per year and that's just the ordinary version of a federal politician. The ETU, Electrical Trades Union of Australia, Victoria branch, posted this on their Facebook, that our members at OI Glass have been in a dispute with OI Management for three months. Today, that's Monday, July the 6th, OI Glass have flown in a replacement workforce from C. SJ Electrical and Ultimate Engineering in South Australia in a misguided effort to break the wheel of our members. We need your help letting CSJ Electrical and Ultimate Engineering and Maintenance Services know that workers' rights are important. Head to their Facebook page and give them a review. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. With the news that another person has died in another accident at a coal mine in central Queensland, the fourth in six months, the chat Marcus Harrington and I had with Steve Smythe, District President, CFMMU Mining and Energy Division Queensland on Saturday, two days before the most recent death, took on a new urgency. So on June the 26th, just last week, uh, one of your members was involved in a uh, fatal incident, yet another worker that went to work and uh, never returned home. It certainly was, and unfortunately that's the third death in six months in Queensland coal mining, in the Queensland coal mining industry, sorry. Um, yeah, what, what happened was there was a, a failure of strata, or what they call them, the open cut mines. Um, a high wall has come down on top of a excavator, and unfortunately um, the operator of that excavator was was killed in, in, in that event. And, you know, it's just a tragic reminder of the hazards that workers face, particularly in, in Queensland. In the last six months, there's three deaths and six months in coal, and there's been two in non-coal. People go to work to work, not to die. Um, we, we focus on on why, what are the mechanisms and the phase of these fatalities, but there's a number of contributing factors that, that unfortunately have led to a number of these. Um, and it's really got to do with the makeup of the industry now, who's working in it, and, and, and really um, to be perfectly blunt, the lack of enforcement by the regulator and just the approach by the employer. It's really interesting that uh, we didn't realise that uh, actually the manslaughter laws, industrial manslaughter laws that came out of Queensland actually don't include the mining industry. No, it doesn't. Bizarre. Yeah, we're filthy about that. That was a deal that was cut, and I'll be honest, prior to the last state election, and um, it hasn't been for the lack of, of focus by the particularly in the mining industry by the CFMU Mining Energy Division, um, we've pushed and pushed and pushed. And, you know, it was really a r- bizarre that they come out and they introduce it into general workplace health and safety but left the mining out. But at this stage, we're very, very close to the industrial manslaughter being introduced. Uh, a lot of work's gone on in that space. Um, it's well overdue and we really believe it, it, it'll act as a deterrent or at least put bosses on notice and, and those that don't want to do the right thing by workers... Um, that there is, some, there is a, a big stick there, for a better word, for those bosses that don't want to do the right thing. 
Well, that's a, that's a, a travesty that the government and even the employers can uh, think that uh, the life of a mining worker is uh, worth less than the life of any other uh, citizen in this country. Oh, it's crazy. It's bizarre. Yeah. And particularly in mining, as I said, we've had uh, three deaths in six months. We've had uh, one of our underground coal mines um, have a major fire and you know, was, was on the point of nearly um, a mine explosion. We've had serious accidents. We've had a lot of high potential incidents, as they call it, and, and we're still fighting and scraping with the state Labor government to get industrial manslaughter in. Um, and, you know, it, it, I, I just find it totally unacceptable. And, you know, I mean, we, as as we do as a union, we've been pushing and pushing, and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but to have it introduced into general workplace health and safety and leave out one of the most hazardous industries mining um, was just bizarre. Now, of course, we're, we're in Victoria a long way away from where you are, and uh, after the election, uh, federal election, we got this impression that, uh, and this... It confirms that the uh, mining industry has an enormous uh, amount of power. Can you talk to that? Oh, certainly has. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about some of the largest multinationals on the planet. You're talking about companies like BHP, um, Anglo American, Glencore, Peabody, uh, Rio Tinto were there for a while, but they've gone. Um, they just wield a, a lot of authority and power, and obviously a lot of money. I mean, they are used to doing business in countries like Latin America, South Africa, where they really just get away with whatever the laws allow them. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and you see it. Um, you know, they get away with it. And here, they, they do what they've got to do, governed by the laws and by the unions. And um, it's clear that, that, that these multinationals, um, all about them, they're just driven by production over safety. Um, and they're driven by at any cost to get and do whatever they've got to do to, to make that buck for their shareholders. And um, certainly, um, you know, it... it the last federal election really showed that, um, how much power mining companies have got, you know, and other multinationals. And uh, all safety incidents and deaths are totally preventable. They should never happen, but it seems nothing will change unless bosses have that uh, fear and threat hanging over their head that they'll uh, spend time in jail if they if a worker does get killed under their watch. Certainly, that's certainly correct, mate. And, and look, just a quick snapshot. There's about 38,000 coal miners in Queensland that work directly in the mines. We have about in excess of 60 plus coal mines, open cut and underground. Um, about 85% of our coal plus is exported globally, particularly a lot of metallurgical coal for, for um, steelmaking. But we're the real issue. So so we have a pretty vast industry and it's pretty large um, across Queensland, but a lot of our issues come down to the type of employment practices as well, um, which are, you know, have a lot of labour employment, lack of supervision, lack of experience. So they're all factors as well, but unless we get some, some stronger regulation and some deterrent around these industrial manslaughter laws, for example, um, and, and it's warranted well overdue, then, then things will not change um, because there's certainly going to be a change in the employment practices that these employers put in place. Do you have uh, problems with uh, right of entry, that type of thing? No, we don't actually because in Queensland, specific in, particularly in coal mining, um, we have three elected what they call district union inspectors or industry safety and health representatives who um, have powers and functions similar to the regulator who can go in unannounced and do inspections at coal mines. So, but their role is predominantly and only health and safety. Mm. Uh, so they can go in and they can inspect mines. Um, they, they do an enormous um, job. They, they uh, have the ability to stop the mine. That, so they have a lot of powers. Um, go back to the right of entry, which we do through the industrial mechanisms. We don't have a lot of issues. The problem with coal mines is they're like Fort Knox. To get into a coal mine, but the security is just... Um, so 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 strong. Um, 
he actually couldn't ever... He, he, he can't get to a mine and go into the mine without having to go through security gates, security guards. So right of entries are never an issue. Um, you obviously got to give notice, which is unfortunate, but that's the way it works. But when it comes to health and safety, we have the, the appropriate people who can go in without any of the obstacles in the way and carry out their roles. So what, you, what you're saying is that there's sort of practical limitations. So uh, as someone was describing it to me the other day, that you go through a security gate and then you could be driving for miles before you yes, get... Correct. Yeah, and then you have to go through another security gate. That can happen, that's right. And then if you go to an underground coal mine, um, really, um, because of the strict procedures of health and safety, you actually go to the top of the mine, you get inducted, you get your what they call cap and self-rescuer, then they take you into the mine to the appropriate crib rooms underground. So there's less... Um, um, there's there's less no surprise. There's yeah. no surprise attack. <laughs> no, no, because you actually... The only way you can get there, because you've got to do inductions, you've got to put... On, um, you've got to go through an induction process, the shaded escapeways in the mine, you've got to put on self-rescuers, cable, you know, all this sort of stuff. So really, you, you, it's not as if you can go there and, and, and do this and that because you've actually got to go through that process to be able to get into the mine. But um, it's a worthwhile exercise. We do a lot of right of entries um, for industrial purposes as well as talk to workers, um, but also the health and safety guys do a tremendous amount of work and job because they can go in there, as I said, they can go in and unannounced and do inspections, they can pull the show up, um, they can follow up complaints from workers. So they do it, you know, and they're flat out, unfortunately, with all these fatalities and serious incidents and accidents because they've got to investigate them and, and, and follow through with reports. So, you know, that's a lot of work for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, these particular fatalities, the most recent fatalities, uh, were they... Um, has it turned out to be about systems or is it something structural? I think um, what I know at this stage is a number of factors, it's particularly the systems failures. Um, I think um, also some of the the, contrib- the factors that we see is, is again, I'll come back to the lack of supervision or quality supervision of people supervising people in work areas. You know, you're talking about a, a guy that's operating an excavator in a pit yeah. with like 30 to 40 metres of high wall above him. Yeah. Uh. Um, that wall failed. Yeah. Um, it's come down on top of the excavator. The problem, I say, and well, at this stage, is that um, it's why people are allowed to work in those conditions or in those positions. You know, apparently. Was he alone? Work. Was he alone? Uh, he was working an excavator in a pit. Yeah, that's correct. There was people in and around oh, the God. area. But um, one of the issues we'll come back to certainly is, is the failure of the strata. You know, and the questions that we're asking is if, the, if they knew the strata was unstable, and I've still got to get to the bottom of that. The more I had people in there, you know, where was the inspection regime, the technical people to ensure that the area was safe. Um, so that's that's really the directly what's happened, why why and how did it happen. But then we've also got the issues with the, what we call the emergency response because in Queensland, all coal mines are supposed to have an emergency response capability at the mine. But what we see a lot in central Queensland because of the vast area is the reliance on the local um, ambulance oh my um, goodness. fire brigade, which... Are all made up of volunteers of our members anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Community. So, so, and, and they're not the only mine. I mean, you've got these multi-million dollar mines run and owned by Peabody, BHP, Anglo, and they still have a heavy reliance on the local community, yet they want to put next to nothing into these communities to help them out, in my view. So, yeah. um, there's certainly going to be factors about the emergency response capability, um, and then, then it flows on, but... Yeah, and I'm getting a lot of feedback from that mine side from our members who, who have no confidence in the management running that mine. 
Um, they had no confidence in the way it had been run. Um, and what's sad is after the event, a lot of people coming out and saying how bad the mine's been run. People that left that mine to go elsewhere, people that were in labour-high positions that really felt like they couldn't speak out. So there's certainly going to be a lot come out of this fatality. Um, but again, it's up to the industry. You know, and we can't rely on industry or the bosses to do the right thing. So it's going to have to be driven through the union's involvement, the workers' involvement, and and getting the regulator or the government off their butt to do the right thing. And after the deaths, uh, Steve, uh, mining companies continued on as usual. There was no, no briefings with the workers over this uh, latest tragic death? or That's correct. So, so a number of mines in that vicinity, they spoke to the workers about what happened, but the majority of the mines just went back to work like nothing's happened. You know, and and I, what really sickens me is I get sick to death of hearing these companies say, after an event, oh, safety is number one priority. Well, if it was the number one priority, workers wouldn't die. Yeah, they wouldn't exactly. get injured and they wouldn't continue to get maimed, and that's yeah. our issue. And um, you know, it's this is this is sort of the mindset of them. It's business as usual. You know, it's just totally unacceptable that a person, as we know, goes to work, doesn't return home, yet his production is normal in some of these other mines. This 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 current mine still shut down at this stage. Obviously, it's under investigation. Um, but obviously, the regulator is ensuring that now. Guys, are out doing an investigation as well. But it's just been absolutely atrocious um, and it sort of seems to be the behaviour of a lot of these employees now just to um, treat it like a simple business business transaction you know and the only ones that, are, that really ever ever are concerned are the workers and obviously the family and friends of the deceased Yes, and those workers um, but yeah, it's atrocious. Do you have anything to do with uh, the rise in black lung in uh, uh, the coal industry up in Queensland? Yeah, yeah. So really, it was our organisation, the CFMU, particularly the Mining Energy Division, um, and a number of ourselves who first um, become aware, I suppose, of, they call it the re-emergence, I call it the cover-up, of pneumoconiosis. Um, and it all come about from uh, one of our members who was diagnosed with it, um, and through our relationship with uh, the Union in the United States called the United Mollies of America and a number of their leading health specialists and doctors, we got in contact and we exchanged um, some x-rays and we had that sort of general discussion. And anyway, cut long story short, that was in about July 2015. Um, we then started realising it was more than one case. Yeah. Um, there's two case, three case. Um, and four years on down the track at the moment, we, we, we're sitting at about 105. Is it true that the companies were doing the lung x-rays and then just turfing them and not giving yes. the people the proper results? That's correct. Um, all these medical assessments were just being put in shipping containers at one of their locations. Um, so there's thousands of coal miners and thousands of workers who unfortunately have probably passed on who have become sick of the disease um, prior to the July 2015 and we'll never know. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to Steve Smythe for talking with us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 94198377. We would really like to hear from you. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.